This year we are talking about being strong and courageous. And one of the reasons that I pick that theme is because I think a lot that for a lot of reasons, the church has many compelling reasons to be fearful and doubtful and defensive and discouraged and dismayed. And I think God's promises are just as true today as they ever were. If ever a time where God's people needed to understand the overwhelming understanding that we are to be strong and courageous, it's now. It's this time. And one of the reasons that we are maybe more fearful and doubtful and discouraged than we ought to be is because we think so much that we are on our own, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but that that is an isolated event, that no one else gets to share the journey. And so that's what this whole series is all about, building a strong church. We have so far talked about a a strong church loves one another. By this, Jesus said, all men will know. That you are my disciples if you love one another. And then last week, coinciding with Back to School Sunday and our prayer pals. Uh, by the way, we don't have many spots left. So if you haven't signed up, I hope you do that quickly. Letters go out at the end of the month. But we have a overwhelming desire and this burden to carry the spiritual things, the spiritual struggles and battles Together. And that's what church is all about. And I'm really excited today to be able to talk about today's topic of being devoted to one another. I asked Charles to lead that song because it always gets me. It just gets me. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I understand that it's less about... See, when I started, I thought, okay, Toby's got to be perfect. And Toby's got to do the right things. And Toby's got to reach people for Christ. And Toby's got to worship. And it's about my individual journey. You know, being the Lone Ranger that I am. That's just the way I'm I'm wired. Maybe you are too. But the longer I'm a Christian and the more I mature, I understand... It's not an individual thing. It's church is designed to be a team sport. We are in this together. And so sometimes we laugh together. We rejoice over someone getting a new job after they've been unemployed for a long time. Or we rejoice in someone celebrating 50 years of marriage. Or we rejoice when a family has a new baby. Or we find out that they're expecting. We, we laugh and we share in the joys of life. But sometimes we cry. Sometimes we cry together as, as a child is lost unexpectedly. Sometimes we cry together when things happen that shouldn't happen. Sometimes we cry together when someone leaves this world too soon. Sometimes we cry together when someone gets the bad news of cancer or a heart attack. We cry together. We share together those heartaches and sighs. We dream together of how it will be. This is the purpose of God's family. That we might ever be reminded that we are not in this alone. 
but that we have one another. Uh, Take 10 seconds and stop looking at me and, and just look around this room. The people that you have looked at are God's blessing to you. And he wants you to be a blessing to them. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about being devoted to one another. Now, we're going to look at four specific areas of devotion. And these specific areas are what the early church did. And it's my contention that the church must still do today. If we're going to continue to be the family that God has called us to be. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and the section we're going to look at is verses 42 through 47. But we're going to focus in on the very first verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The early church were devoted followers of Jesus. Their devotion to him led them to be devoted to one another. Being devoted to God, you see, has always meant being devoted to God's people. And that's what this devotion looks like in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as it impacted their life in very real ways. The scripture there says, according to Luke, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's first start by talking about their devotion to the apostles' teaching. When I was uh, younger than I am now, I was probably in college, the church that I grew up in, occasionally I would preach. And uh, that's a difficult thing, especially for an 18-, 19-year-old kid. As you get up to preach the word, it's not uncommon, and I think people mean well. After you're done, people to tell you that that sermon was just amazing. There will be revival in the church. And you start to believe that stuff. And you think, start to think it's more about the man than the message. And I was brought humbly back to, back to where I should be one time when I preached a sermon about Enoch. Now, if you don't know the story of Enoch, it's a very interesting story found in Genesis. And the scripture says that Enoch walked with God and was no more. He didn't, he didn't die. There was no funeral for Enoch. And as I was going along preaching this, what I felt was going to be this amazing sermon, I, I made the comment that no one else had ever experienced what Enoch did in these pages. No one else had ever not experienced not having died. Or had ever experienced not having died. And I went on and continued to bring what I thought would bring revival. When after church, the remarks that I received that time were different than before. In the spirit of love and kindness, I had many, many folks remind me many, many times that there was indeed more than one person. And what was his name? Elijah. See, that reminded me of something. That God's people are to be a people of the Word. To know the Word and certainly to live the Word. But it's easy in church to go, well, 
that guy up there, he, he says it, so it must be true. But God's people are to be people who are committed and who are convicted about the Word of God. And I'm grateful to say over my journey, still many of you, <laughs> time gently in a spirit of love and humility will say, I want to take issue with you on this. And they won't do it maliciously or cruelly. They'll just say, look here at the book. That's good. That's the kind of people we ought to be. That's the kind of people the first Christians were. You see, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is important because, you see, you and I, we have a, a Bible or a phone or an iPad, and we can just open up. But the first Christians didn't have that. They just had what the apostles told them to be true. And so they had to listen to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, again, Thaddeus, Simon. They had to listen to them. They had to believe that their testimony about Jesus and their instructions for the church were true. God's word has always been like this. It's been useful for us. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 16 and 17. The word there testifies to itself as Paul writes it to his young protege, Timothy. And he says this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is no ordinary book, you see. It's God-breathed. Literally the same breath of God formed the heavens and the stars and the moon and the sun. The same breath of God that carved mountains from nothing. The same breath of God that dug out the ocean's depths that we have yet to explore. The same breath of God that did all those things inspired these words. And so it's my job every week to tell you what this book says. It's really no more complicated than that. I study this book and I tell you what it says. But God's people are also to be people who say, well, let me see if that's really what it says. See if Toby really knows what it's talking about. This is the Berean attitude. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Luke records this interesting story of, of some very religious Jews. And he says this about them. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now that just strikes me. They weren't impressed necessarily about the Apostle Paul. They were devoted to the word. And even though it was the Apostle Paul speaking, they opened up the word to see if what he was speaking was really true. 
That's a beautiful spirit. And we ought to have that spirit at Northside because our devotion, as you see on the screen, is to the apostles' teaching. It doesn't say they are devoted to the apostles. It's not the man we have devotion to. It's the message. It's the word of God. That's where the power is. For the word of God, says Hebrews 4.12, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen to this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The heart is one of the most misleading parts of the body. And you hear so much in our culture about listening to your heart and trusting your heart and just do what sounds good, do what seems good to you. But the scripture warns us against trusting the heart implicitly. Does that mean God messed up when he gave us a heart, when he gave us emotions and feelings? And no, not at all. But we just got to make sure we understand and that we have a guide. Uh, Let me illustrate. You're looking a little confused. To illustrate, I need you all to bow your head and close your eyes. Consider this your seventh inning nap, I guess. Go ahead, bow your heads and close your eyes. And this won't work if you're looking at me. So if you're looking at me, I'm going to call you out and ask you to come forward. No, I'm kidding. Okay, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And what I want you to do to the best of your ability without looking and with keeping your eyes closed is to take your right hand And point to the direction that you believe to be north. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Okay, everybody can look up. Keep your hands pointed. Okay, some of you need a GPS real bad. You see, if I have a compass, according to this, that way is north. Do you understand? Do you understand the application? God has given us a true north. I mean, some of you don't know which way north is, and you go to north side. (laughs) This is what we do every week as we meet in Bible class and in worship together. We examine the compass. We look to see which way God points. We devote ourselves to. Not to the apostles, but to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. May we be devoted as such at Northside. Secondly, the first church was devoted to the fellowship. I call this community. A godly love is shown by how devoted you are in love to your brother. Now, you can say that you love each person that you looked at earlier. But your actions will always tell the truth. The verse that Ken read said, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. The word devoted there is the only time the word is used in the Greek. Philostorgos. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it means simply tender affection, familial love. You see, we are all born of the same water and the same spirit. And so, spiritually speaking, we're siblings. And we ought to have love for one another. Paul wrote this to the church at Galatia, chapter 6, verse 10. 
So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But then he adds this, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know what this is? We put several hours each week putting this Sunday handout together. But the purpose of this and the bulletin and the website and social media, that has one purpose. That we might be devoted to one another. Especially to those of the household of faith. So this requires more than just saying, yeah, 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 I'm devoted. It means you ought to be able to look over the last week. And point to something specific that you did as a response, as a measure of your devotion to your family. How did you encourage this week? How did you correct this week? How did you teach this week? How did you lift up this week? How did you love this week? How did you do that toward everyone else? What happens is... When we get a sermon like this, we think about, yeah, better preach it because I went through some things and nobody called and nobody cared. And I didn't get a single card or message. I was gone for six months and no one missed me. That's what we're talking about. We're asking you to look inwardly and say, what have I done? How have I been devoted? So on your handout. At the bottom, I I want to call you to come out of your comfort zone. I want to call you to do something. Now, I could go through this whole list, or I can just show you the list. And I can ask you to pick one. Just pick one. The only rule is, it shouldn't be something that you should be something new and challenging and different outside of your comfort zone. And I'll say this, there's no excuses. If you are a baptized believer in Christ, whether you are just a few weeks old, whether you've been coming to church your whole life and you're many decades old in Christ, there is no age restriction on our devotion. So pick one, just one, and write it there down at the bottom of your handout. And... Pick one that's new and different and difficult and uncomfortable. And if you don't like those 12, pick, make one up on your own. Do what is uncomfortable because outside of your comfort zone is where the magic happens. Now, I don't mean literal magic. I just mean when you begin to make yourself uncomfortable in the body of Christ... That's when God begins to work. But as long as you're just comfortable and just doing what you've always done and doing the bare minimum, you don't understand devotion. So you have to get outside your comfort zone to do what needs to be done. You think, well, somebody else is doing that. Surely somebody else is doing that. But I'm calling you to do that. To do something this week to show devotion to the fellowship of believers. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And we know, according to Acts 20 and verse 7, that the early church met together. Now, when I say they broke bread, and I'm talking about communion, we instantly get 
this moment. This period right here, just for three minutes every week. But you understand, when they broke bread together, it was a far different experience of what you and I have today. It's not right or wrong. I'm just saying it is different. But there's a reason God's people are called to meet at his table every week. There's something that happens when you break bread together. I can't explain it. I can't fully put my thumb on it. But there is something about meeting together and sharing a meal together that opens human beings up in a relational way that nothing else will. That's why I love that the church is about meeting together to break bread. It's a beautiful thing. May we not just in this moment think about the body in the sense of the crucified physical body, but also the body. If you look in the pages of Scripture, especially the letter to Corinth, the church there, they forgot the meaning of the meal. Like I said, they did it differently than us. They had kind of a love feast. And they had this whole meal surrounding this time of communion. And some people were getting drunk and, and gorging themselves on the food. And some people couldn't lived far away, couldn't get there quickly, and they come and there was nothing left. You ever been at the very end of the line in a potluck? Okay. And they were mad and discouraged and, you know, why is this this way? And Paul said, you're forgetting the whole meaning of the meal. You're forgetting the whole meaning of the memorial. Is to focus on him, but also to remember one another. You see, with, when we come together at this table, it's not just about the body of Jesus that we remember. It's about the body of Christ. That we not only remember what he did, but we remember what he's doing still today through us, through his body and his bride, the church. Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 29. He says, so then, whoever eats bread, the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink, catch this, without discerning the body of Christ. I hope when you partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not just a time you think... I've committed the following sins this week and I feel terrible. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's more to it than what Jesus died for in you. It's taking a look around at your body, your family, your brothers and sisters. And being reminded of what Jesus did for them just as he did for you. He says this. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Just because we partake of communion weekly does not mean that we should partake of communion weekly. We are called to consider the sacrifice that Jesus made and the price that he paid not just for me, but for the whole family. 
as we meet together. That's what devotion to breaking of bread is all about. It's more than just remembering him. It's being reminded that we share this meal and this memorial together. Finally, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What I call the calling. Uh, Verse 11 of Romans 12 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Hebrews 12.28 says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. David mentions this in his prayer. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. We are called to have spiritual passion and enthusiasm and commitment. Zeal, J.C. Ryle said, is a burning desire to please God, to do his will and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. A zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He is more than earnest, hearty, uncompromising, wholehearted and fervent in spirit. He sees only one thing. He cares only about one thing, lives for one thing, swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. We looked at all these four ways in which the church should be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God, to the, to the compass, to the fellowship, to our community, to communion, where we meet together in consideration of what Jesus did for me and for us And finally, our calling to be a people of prayer and be a people of worship and to be thoughtful of and consumed by the will of God. But why does this matter? If I'm honest, I mean, it's not like we can't improve, but I think Northside does well at those things. Why preach this sermon to be reminded that this matters? As I said in the beginning, I used to think that Christianity was all about an individual thing. And so when I got the calling or when I was reading the scripture, it talked about the calling of the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I thought, man, I'm supposed to do that by myself? I would go in college. Literally, I did this. I would go outside of class time and I'd go knock on doors and. See if people wanted to know about Jesus, because that's what I believe the word called me to do. But as I've grown up and as I've matured, I've understood that it's not about doing this by myself. The church is about making disciples together. Maybe I can illustrate it with a story. A few weeks ago, there was a flash flood, and it enraged the city of Ellicott City, Maryland. A lady by the name of Jamie Knight was trapped in her car. As we bring the lights down, I want to show you what happened to Jamie.
tries to make her car over to the curb, and the gentleman tries to go out there to rescue her by himself. Figuring out he can't do it himself, he enlists some help. Once there was a devoted team working toward the same goal, there was hope. Now, everyone did different things. Some people were firmly secured on the, on the side there. Some people were reaching out. Some people were encouraging the Jamie to get out of the car. Some people were just holding tightly to the person next to them. But they were all together in one mission. Jamie has to make a decision whether she's going to leave the comfort of her car, as insecure as that may be, or get out into the raging water and reach into the hands of strangers. She made the right choice. She was pulled out of that car because... A team worked together. You see, this matters. You and I matter because the church's mission has never changed to seek and to save the lost. And maybe your job is encouragement. Maybe you're a reacher-outer. Maybe you're coordinating a ministry. But what you do matters. Matter to Jamie Knight. Certainly mattered to her parents and anyone who loved her. When we work together, we can do what any, so much more than any one person can do by themselves. May we not forget that this time matters, but being devoted to one another in our convictions, in our community, in our communion, and in our calling May we be together. May we continually fulfill the mission of Jesus. I don't know if you're still in Acts chapter 2, but at the end of that whole section, it talks about every way which the church was. Luke finishes by saying this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Sounds pretty good. But what comes next is even better. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church were devoted followers of Jesus. But their devotion to Jesus meant a devotion to one another that impacted their lives and the eternal lives of others in many ways. Their devotion was a response to his love 
that Jesus had for them. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was devoted to go all the way to the cross. Not because he had to, but because he loved his father. And if you have not yet obeyed the gospel and obeyed Jesus and showed that you love him, then I want to call you to respond this morning. To come forward and and begin walking in Christ in newness of life by putting him on in baptism. Or if you've done that and you just need to say to your family, I need some help. I just need your prayers. I need your encouragement. Come forward and, and we'll have our shepherds ready to meet you, to encourage you, to pray with you, and to pray for you. Whatever your need might be, please come as together we stand and sing.